You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I am a holistic nutritionist and professional cancer coach. Our show this week is with Dr. Dominic Brandy, and we are talking about how to beat back cancer naturally. Dr. Brandy and I strum the same chord in many ways on this topic. And I am very happy to have a fellow cancer coach join me to speak about integrative cancer care. Dr. Brandy is a medical doctor, author, speaker, and cancer coach who has been practicing medicine for over 40 years. He is the founder of Natural Insights into Cancer, which is a passion project for Dr. Brandy. Natural Insights into Cancer uses diet, exercise, targeted supplements, and other lifestyle changes to help you fight cancer. Health and nutrition have been a passion of Dr. Brandy's since the age of 10. He is also the author of Beat Back Cancer Naturally, a book that includes five scientifically proven natural and plant-based ways to prevent, survive, and thrive with cancer. As I mentioned uh, just a second ago, a lot of this stuff will resonate with you. Uh, We do have a lot of similar ideas about integrative approach to cancer care. We talk about the five scientific ways to prevent, survive, and thrive with cancer. Why eating a plant-based diet is central to his teachings. And what are some practical tips to begin eating a plant-based diet? Please do stay tuned. We will be back in just a few minutes to start our conversation with Dr. Brandy. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our show today has been taped, so no opportunity for calling in. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those locations. Dr. Brandy, welcome to our show. Hey, it's great being here. Hi, Kathy. We, you know, we heard the intro, of course, um, and how you made your way into this space, but would love to get a bit more of the backstory and how you came to be a similar path as I have taken becoming a air quotes cancer coach. Let us know how that, you know, aligns with what you're doing now in your own life and how you came to be here. Well, a little bit about my background. Um, I had a 
plastic surgery slash med spa slash uh, slash anti-aging center uh, for over 40 years. Um, we were one of the top med spas in the United States. We were always ranked uh, in the top five or six in the country. So it was really over 100 employees. So it was a very stressful job, to say the least. Uh, about three and a half years ago, uh, we had a venture capital group come in and they offered to uh, buy my practice. And at that point, I devoted my life full time uh, to cancer coaching. Now, how did I get into cancer coaching? Well, I was actually diagnosed with an incurable blood cancer called uh, multiple myeloma uh, five and a half years ago. And um, to say the least, it was devastating. It really totally rocked my life. And at that point, I had to give up doing uh, plastic surgery. And I had two other associates that pretty much took over at that point. But when I got diagnosed with multiple myeloma, and for your listeners, uh, multiple myeloma is a cancer of the B cells. Uh, they're the cells that make your antibodies. And there's basically three different types. There's IgA, IgG, IgM. IgA is the most aggressive, and that was the type that I had. And the way I got diagnosed, I actually was having pain in my right clavicle, and I really didn't know what was going on. It kind of started... Uh, when I was doing a surgery, I felt a little snap, and then it just kept getting worse and worse. And then one day, my wife and I were watching television. I accidentally knocked over a container of water, and my collarbone just cracked right in half. Uh, we got an X-ray, MRI, a bunch of different studies, biopsy of the area that cracked. I had a three-centimeter, what they call plasma cytoma there. Went to my oncologist, and at that point, he wanted to start me on a triple regimen of two oral medications and then a drug called Valcate, which is a proteasome inhibitor. And I would have to go into the hospital every week and get an injection into my abdomen with this drug. And the more I was reading about it, just about everybody that gets this Valcate gets a pretty severe peripheral neuropathy of their fingers and their, and their toes. And being a surgeon, I just did not want to risk that. The other thing, and a big part of my story is two months before I got diagnosed, I actually started eating whole food plant-based because I read a book by Dr. Michael Greger mm -hmm. called How Not to Die. I'm sure many of your listeners have probably read it, but if they get the hardback, I mean, it's about two inches thick. And I would say probably about an inch of it are scientific references. And and that was the thing that really intrigued me about this book. You know, being a medical doctor, I didn't really want to hear about anecdotes. I wanted to see, you know, prospective studies, randomized trials, uh, and so forth. And that's what this book was showing me. <laughs> that over and over again, if you looked at cultures uh, and research cohort groups, those that ate more plant-based had much lower incidence of cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, dementia, really all-cause mortality. So when I went to my oncologist, he wanted me to do this Valcade, and I had already been eating whole food plant-based for two months, and I was positive it was going to help me in this battle. Well, he didn't think I was going to get into a remission just with these two oral medications, but I, I just told him, listen, doc, I'm, I'm not doing it. At that point, I went on a deep dive into the scientific literature. I mean, I was on my computer probably three to four hours every morning looking for every herb, every lifestyle change that I could make that could help me in this battle. And every 
month, my numbers just kept getting better and better. And by the sixth month, I was in a complete remission. And to put it mildly, my doctor was blown away. I mean, he didn't even think I was going to get into a remission because I had this more aggressive type of myeloma. Uh, and the fact that I did it in six months was really even my, more mind-blowing. Now, I am in a functional remission, which means that I still take those two uh, oral medications, but I take them at a very low dose. In fact, right now, we're trying to wean me off those and see maybe I'll be the first myeloma patient <laughs> that was ever cured. I don't know. I'm hoping. Here's hoping. But, uh, Yep. Hey, that's one thing about when you have cancer, um, you've got to have hope. And I always tell, the, and I'm sure you deal with this when you are uh, counseling your uh, cancer patients. You know, I also tell them, listen, every day when you wake up, be reminded that you do have cancer and that this, this is a very formidable and relentless enemy. And when you put your guard down, I mean, it's going to come back and it's it can come back in a, in a much more aggressive form. Like I have a really good uh, friend of mine I went to high school with and I'm coaching him. Uh, he has prostate cancer. It was a very aggressive cancer, but it didn't metastasize. But I go out to dinner with him sometimes and he's just totally like drinking all kind of alcohol and eating all kind of eggs and stuff. And I keep, in fact, this morning, I just sent him a text on how, uh, Well, I think we've lost you there. We've lost the voice here, everybody. Yeah, we've just lost the voice here. I remind them. Oh, we're back. Okay. As you know, when you're coaching uh, patients uh, in this battle, I mean, you just have to constantly be reminding them to try to keep them on track. Mm-hmm. You know, um, well, just just for your information too, we just lost a bit of the the of the audio, so just about for thirty oh, seconds. Did? Just yeah, okay. it's back now, so we're all good. Um, okay. But we certainly got the gist of what you were saying. You know, so many nuggets there. Um, your mention of hope. This is the one aspect of practice that. I always try and trumpet. And it's not a blind hope. It's a hope that comes from taking control of an aspect of your health. And I think it goes hand in hand. And I think um, what you are doing and how you are opening up to people the possibility of hope by action is so very important. You know, we always think as as humans, we go to the negative, so negative thoughts and our negative gut and everything, but we don't give credence to the positive. So you giving people hope is really, to me, the first step on the path to prevention. And, and as you know, we align and everyone knows my story, and that's why Dr. Brandy and I have had such wonderful conversations. We're on the same page. Now, you wrote a book and you know, called Beat Back Cancer Naturally. Yeah, we'll get into the to the pillars uh, more deeply, but just what what you know what caused you to write this book? Have you been writing material before? Um, and what is sort of the the basic concept of what you are bringing forth? Well, I've always been a writer. Uh, you know, I've published in the uh, scientific literature over seventy five articles. I've given over two hundred lectures at international meetings. I've written nine textbook chapters. So I've always enjoyed writing, but. What's interesting about my story, a year after I started my treatment, so I started my treatment in, it was January of 2018, and then January of 2019, 
I had all this information and I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to sponsor a lecture in one of the hotels. And I did that. And, uh, and we had 125 people show up for this thing. And we were expecting maybe 50. But I get sure I uh, went on, I was expecting it to be an hour, but it went on two hours. There were a lot of cancer patients up, out there and they were asking me all kinds of questions as the lecture was going on. And when I was done, I had a standing ovation and I've never had a standing ovation for anything in my life. <laughs> um, I don't know if they were feeling sorry for me or they thought the lecture was that great. But personally, I thought the reason they gave that to me is that, as I said, there were a lot of cancer patients out there. And I really think I was giving them hope. Mm -hmm. exact thing we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I think they felt they were at the mercy of the surgery, the radiation, the chemo, and there wasn't anything they could do. In fact, afterward, there were quite a few people that came up to me. And one I remember in particular, she had multiple myeloma and she was definitely like overweight, maybe even obese. And um, she said, hey, hey, doctor, I, you know, I, I asked my oncologist, should I change my diet? And he said, oh, no, just take the medication. You'll be just mm -hmm. fine. And and she looked me right in the eye and she said, I, I knew that wasn't right. That just could not be right. So so after that, I started to have monthly meetings at my uh, I had three med spas, one of my largest ones. We used to get 75 to 100 people there every month. I used to invite in uh, guest speakers. And that's when people start asking me, hey, you, are you going to write a book? You have so much knowledge. And that's when I decided to do that. So I started Memorial Day of uh, 2019, I had it finished on Labor Day. Uh, every morning I would wake up and I would write an hour or two. I would do a lot of research in between. I had it on Amazon first week of November and I had a book on the second week of November. So that's how the whole book got it got to uh, to its, its, its place. And I think it was really important that I did that. Um, because it's helped educate a lot of people. And, and the five precepts, you kind of were talking about that a little bit, are uh, a plant-based diet. I really do try to get my cancer patients to eat as plant-strong as possible mm -hmm. and eat a diversity of different plants. I, I really strongly recommend they try to eat 30 different plant foods per week. Um, and I, I make that recommendation. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the American Gut Project. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Knight, he's the premier microbiome uh, scientist in the world. He, uh, he organized this group that analyzed over 10,000 stool samples. And they found that people that eat 30 or more different plant foods uh, in a week uh, have a much more diverse, healthy microbiome compared to people that were eating 10 or less. And the people that were eating 10 or less had a lot more uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria in their microbiome. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's really not that hard to do. I, like I, I was just going to say, that's not that hard to do. Yeah. When I say that, it's not servings, it's plant foods. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you can eat a sa my salad, and I always show it to my patients when I do a virtual consultation. My salad has like 25 different plants in it. Yep. So right there, I'm already up to 25. And then my wife always makes a really good um, vegetable soup. There's a lot of them in the Blue Zones uh, kitchen uh, cookbook. Um, those usually have about 15 different. So, and then she'll put them in mason jars and we'll just pull them out, throw them in the microwave, mm -hmm. you know, through the week. But that's, I'm up to like, you know, what, 45 or something right there. And I'm, it's really not that hard to do. So, so really eating more of a plant-strong diet. Uh, I personally take over 30 different herbal supplements. When I do a consult, 
I send a letter to the patient the next day. I kind of triple asterisk the ones that I think are the most important, double asterisk, less important, one asterisk, the least important. And they, they can get them all on Amazon. I, mm-hmm. I check all of my supplements through consumerlab.com. Um, I try to get the ones that are the least expensive, but also are effective. Mm-hmm. And then exercise is really, I think, one of the kingpins. Uh, you know, stress reduction and sleep are the fourth and fifth. But I always say about exercise, it does so many things. It boosts your immune system. It really helps your tumor suppressor genes. It makes you more insulin uh, sensitive. It helps your antioxidants to really, your innate antioxidants to work more effectively. But the other thing that I that I think is important is that sleep is one of the cornerstones and it makes you sleep better. Study after study shows that when you regularly exercise, you get much better sleep quality and then stress reduction. How many of us have felt totally stressed out? We felt like the world was caving in. We took a nice run or something and geez, everything was great afterwards. So so exercise is really, you know, a, a, a kingpin. And I'm sure you're familiar with some of the studies on breast mm-hmm. cancer. You know, one that I have in my book that is stunning. Uh, they took breast cancer patients and they broke them into uh, three different groups. One group, women just briskly walked for 30 minutes a day and they lowered their uh, cancer relapse uh, by uh, 24%. Those that jogged two thirds of a mile a day, uh, they lowered it by 40%. And then women that jogged 2.3 miles per day actually lowered their relapse rate by 95%, which when I read that article, I was actually kind of stunned by it, but I don't even think chemo can can do that. Mm-hmm. So exercise is very powerful, and it's something that I really encourage uh, my cancer patients to try to do on a regular basis and also do some resistance training at least twice yes. a week. I, I personally do – I go through a band routine um, every day. I do a total body resistance thing that I get through in about 15 minutes, and um, – it's really important for keeping uh, insulin sensitivity. <clears throat> you know, as people hit about 45, 50, they'll lose about 1% of their muscle mass uh, every year if they're not doing some kind of resistance training. And we do know that when you start losing muscle, you lose insulin sensitivity. And the reason that's important is when you become insulin resistant, your blood sugars level go up. We all know that cancer kind of love sugar, but also I think even more importantly, your insulin levels start raising. And insulin is is an extremely powerful growth stimulator of cancer. So I really think doing the resistance exercise is also uh, really very, very critical. I totally agree. You know, what you're talking about, and again, this is how we align, is taking control of your health. And that is the missing piece in most cancer protocols. And it can be a very difficult thing to do because on the one medical side, you're being told what to do, you're going. But on the other side, the health piece of your cancer protocol, it takes some effort, it takes some work, it takes some knowledge. So are you surprised when people come back to you after working with you and are shocked at how well they got through treatment? They're shocked at how good they feel. Oh, yeah. It, it's unreal. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was on a podcast probably a couple months ago, and someone asked me, 
have you ever had a patient come out of remission? And I, I was actually thinking back. And I, I really couldn't think of anybody who was following what I was guiding them coming out of remission. I just, I, I, I was going through like every patient in my head. Um, now, I do coach a lot of people that are stage four metastatic cancer, and that's a little rougher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel those patients do a lot better than they would have done if they're just kind of at the mercy of the chemo. And I do have a, on my website, uh, naturalinsightsintocancer.com, I do have a 24 access availability through me. They pay it. There is a fee. It's like $20 a month, which I think is very reasonable, where they can text me, they can email me, they can call me anytime they want. 10 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock in the morning. But a lot of my patients that are going through these uh, kind of end stage treatments and so forth, they really do appreciate that because, um, you know, they struggle. And I just had one yesterday. She's going through uh, stage four uh, metastatic ovarian cancer. And, you know, she said, oh, I'm really anxious. And I just kind of said, hey, you know what? That's normal what mm-hmm. you're going through just for that encouragement and support and trying to keep track. And then when they get to that level, I'll even re- recommend them to get some outside of the box type treatments mm-hmm. uh even i don't know if you're in favor of doing uh iv vitamin c treatment mm-hmm. sometimes i'll i'll send them to a local uh, uh facility that does those like in between their treatments uh or like hypothermia treatments things like that ozone so there when you get to the when you're starting to get to the end of the road you need to kind of pull out some extra stops uh in recommendations you know i it's it's a goal of mine. I'm sure it's a goal of yours for people to this be their first step when they have a diagnosis. You know, you'd like prevention. Obviously, we'd like the prevention. But as humans go, we don't think about getting sick until we get sick. And then the right. prevention piece comes at the end. Right. But right. wouldn't it be a great world if once you're diagnosed, this was initiated as part of a protocol? Because I just think for outcomes, for peace of mind, for a little bit of stress reduction, it would be just a brilliant piece of everybody's cancer protocol. Well, you know what I asked my oncologist when I first got diagnosed? You know, we became good friends. And uh, in fact, his name's even in my book. And uh, he has incorporated a lot of things that I have incorporated into my because he sees the kind of results that uh, that I'm getting. But one of the things I asked him, I said, do you do you recommend to your patients to eat nine servings of fruits and vegetables per day? Because that's what the National Cancer Institute recommends for the prevention. He said, no. Yeah. So why don't, why don't you just even do something as simple as that? It's not going to increase your chances of getting a malpractice suit or anything like that. I mean, that's kind of conventional wisdom Mm -hmm. and the national cancer institute recommends that because all the studies show over and over again that people that eat more plants have much lower incidence of cancer you know and i think he does recommend that um you know i he recommends turmeric now to his patients Mm -hmm. um the other thing he recommends i don't know if you've ever heard of strontium citrate uh for bone health but um I had a severe osteoporosis when I got diagnosed, and it was from the myeloma. It actually upgrades your osteoclasts that eat away the bone, and it downgrades your osteoblast. It's a very common thing with uh, myeloma, and many people present with back pain, compression fractures, and so forth. But I was two weeks into my treatment, and I had a compression fracture of my T11, which was extremely painful. 
And I started Zometa, which is a bisphosphonate. And mm -hmm. uh, I had severe, I did it three times and I had severe reactions. The first time I had extreme pain in my sternum, woke me up in the middle of the night. Next time I had severe back pain after I had it. And the third time I had flu-like symptoms and I that was it. I said, no more. And a good friend of mine who's an integrative on uh, oncologist, she told me about strontium citrate. And uh, strontium citrate is an element. It's in our food. It's in root vegetables, a lot of seafoods and tap water. But if you go uh, through the studies, um, it has an amazing effect on bone density. In two years, I increased my bone density by 17% on DEXA scan. And my, my doctor was totally blown away. My friend who's uh, an integrative doctor, she said that she had never seen anybody not increase their bone density year over year up to seven years. Um, so I, I do, you get on Amazon, it's strontium citrate. I use a Horbach uh, brand, but there's a ton of them on there. You, I, bit, I take calcium, vitamin D, K2 in the morning, and then in the evening, I take strontium. You never take them together because they compete for the same binding site. Mm -hmm. The other thing with strontium, if anybody ever does it, um, if you uh, get your improvement in whatever your DEXA scan is, subtract about 10%. So I went up 17%. So I really went up probably like 15 point something percent, um, 15.3%. So because strontium is a little heavier uh, than calcium. So it's an interesting thing that uh, I do recommend for a lot of my patients that are going through uh, cancer treatments. You know, once we get the doctors on board, even to the level that your oncologist was on, at the very least, it opens the opportunity for people to ask more questions. And I think if you can get to that point where we can get doctors just at the very bare minimum suggesting they even look to somebody who knows about diet and lifestyle when it comes to, I mean, that is, for me, that's, that would be a, a level of integration that we have never seen before. So it's very nice to hear that your doctor is starting to suggest a diet uh, appropriate for cancer patients. Everybody, we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be back in just a few minutes to continue our conversation. You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Dr. Brandy, uh, we have had Dr. Gregor on our show. He uh, was a, a wonderful guest. He's written the book, as you mentioned. But I think... You know, when it comes to this space and health, there it's a very sensitive area. People question a lot. You can go to the internet and find information, which can be a scary thing. But how important is it for you, for your practice, and for your patients to have the validity of the research behind you when you're recommending different options? Well, when I first read michael gregor's uh, book how not to die um he went through these large like british journal of cancer uh with a 10-year review and they looked at plant vegans vegetarians pescatarians and so forth you know people that were 
whole food plant-based eaters had much lower incidence of cancer, especially blood cancers. And there was another one in JAMA. Uh, it was like a 12-year review, uh, looked at over 500,000 different patients, and they came to the same conclusion that people that ate more plant-based had a much lower incidence of cancer, really cardiovascular disease, which is another thing that I always stress with my uh, cancer patients, because what most people don't realize, 20 to 40% of cancer patients don't die of cancer. They actually die of a cardiovascular event. Yes. So I always am trying to get my patients to, to get their LDL levels down, get their cholesterol levels down, make sure their lipid profiles are excellent, because a lot of times that's how you're going to die. Um from cancer, not actually from the cancer, but some kind of a cardiovascular event. But if you, if you, one of the things Dr. Greger did also in his book, and I always stress uh, looking at the blue zones. I'm sure you're familiar with that, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are. But this is a book that was written by uh, Dan Butner uh, mm -hmm. through National Geographic. And he was set out to look at the five areas or the areas of the world where people lived the longest. And they were Icaria, Greece, Sardinia, Nokoya, Costa Rica, uh, Okinawa, Japan, and right here in the United States, Loma Linda, California, where a lot of seven-day Adventists live. And and these all of these uh, countries eat anywhere from a 90 to 95% plant-based diet. They all do. And if you look at Loma Linda, which I like to use as a common... Uh, a common analogy because it is in the United States. Women live about 10 years uh, longer than women in other women in the United States. And men live about 14 years longer. And seven-day Venice don't drink alcohol, which I also think is a, it can be a causative factor in cancer that a lot of people ignore because it, people like having their daily drink. Um they are either vegan or vegetarian in the seven-day Venice. So, um, and if you look at the blue zones in general, they have 500% more centenarians. And some people say, well, it's genetic. And it really isn't because they follow descendants and they lose on average about 17 years off their lifespan. So, so I always look at that. I look at what the National Cancer Institute recommends, nine servings of fruits and vegetables for the prevention um, and the reason they came up with that recommendation is because when you eat more plant foods, you have a much lower uh, incidence of uh, of cancer. Now, one of the other things that I always bring up to my cancer patients that are in remission and they want to stay there, they're getting a second chance. When I first got diagnosed, I read a, a journal article uh, in Nature by uh, Nikhil Munchke. He's a world-renowned myeloma researcher. And when I read this article, it depressed the hell out of me because it said that by the time you get diagnosed with multiple myeloma, what I have, there's up to 5,000 DNA mutations in that cancer cell. And by the time you relapse, you're up to about 12,000. And, and a lot of those 12,000 probably come from the chemo drugs themselves. So I always bring that up because plant foods have 63 times the antioxidant power compared to animal products. And what causes a lot of these DNA mutations are free radicals that are produced in the trillions every day through our mitochondria. And our innate antioxidants can usually keep a lot of that free radical activity under control, but we all overload our systems. I mean, it can be all the 
pollutants uh, that we're exposed to in the air, the water, our food, um, you know, ultraviolet light, like smoking is something you definitely shouldn't do. Uh, I read an article one time, one puff of a cigarette created eight hours of free radical activity. So your body can get overloaded. So the more antioxidant rich foods that you can eat can help supplement your innate antioxidants to really kind of keep that free radical uh, activity uh, under control. So, so that's why I really strongly recommend my cancer patients to try to eat whole food plant-based as much as they can. Um, I also bring up how animal products, even ones that are grass fed, you know, I've heard, I've been on interviews and people say, well, what if you eat like, you know, hormone free uh, grass fed uh, beef, whatever. And I'll say, just remember, every animal has their own hormones. I mean, they have testosterone, estradiol, growth hormone. So when you eat any kind of an animal product, you are eating a lot of hormones because that is an animal. And that animal has its own set of health problems. It might have viruses or parasites or leukemia. You just don't know what that animal has. Um, and then when you cook the meat, you form all these you know, heterocycling amines, these uh uh, nitrosamines, uh, glycation products from these, uh, from cooking the meat. So that creates a whole nother, you know, set of problems. And then as you probably well know, uh, long branched amino acids in these meats are definitely potent stimulators of IGF-1 and mTOR, which are both powerful cancer growth factors. So I go over all this when I do my consultations just to educate the patient, just show them how um, really trying to keep more plant-based is really going to keep them on track and it's going to help them stay in a remission because of this high potent antioxidant power and also the phytonutrients that are in these foods too. One thing that I was amazed when I first started doing my research is that there's over 100,000 phytonutrients in plant foods that I never really knew about all of these. And I recently listened to a podcast with Jed Fahey. He's probably one of the premier uh, experts on phytochemicals. He feels there's over 5 million phytonutrients uh, in plant foods. And um, when you really start looking at what these phytonutrients do, I mean, they are cancer killers. I mean, they fragment the DNA of the cancer cell. They disrupt, I know turmeric alone disrupts over 80 different cancer cell signaling pathways. Uh, they disrupt uh, the cell cycle at various stages of replication. Uh, they enhance your tumor suppressor genes. I mean, there's a whole slew of things that do, and I have all them detailed in my book. But, but that really is the way that these phytonutrients in these plant foods, and phytonutrients are what give the plants the color. So, and that's why it's also important to eat different plant foods because you're getting all these different types of phytonutrients that really fight cancer in different ways. Um, so it's it's really super fascinating uh, how these work. And I have a lecture on my website, Natural Insights into Cancer, where I show how these phytochemicals actually work synergistically. So two plus two doesn't equal four, it equals seven. And I go through all these different studies. Uh, one, for example, was with breast cancer. They applied a grape extract to uh, breast cancer cells that were growing in a Petri dish to kill about 25% of the cancer cells. Then they added an onion extract, killed about 50% of the cancer cells. And then they did a half and half extract. 
you would think that would kill maybe 35% of the cancer cells. No, it killed 75%. So there's the synergism when you have different phytochemicals coming together and the way they work against cancer. It's really a fascinating topic. Um, do most of the people that you work with, are they in treatment or are they in the prevention piece? And the reason that I'm teeing up this question to you is because sometimes feedback I get from people is, please just tell me what to do. I've got so much else going on. Um, and so where do you see your practice right now? Um, and is it moving? Do you find more people are starting to come on board as they get diagnosed? I'm getting a lot of people that are contacting me when they first get diagnosed. That's good. Because they don't know what to do. They're like mm-hmm. panicked and and it's tough. I, I've been there. I've done that. So one, one and I think you have had cancer too, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, I have. Yes. So we know what it's going to, it is to just the whole psychological yeah. aspect of it too. And so we really, I, I feel because we've been through it, Uh, We have a lot of compassion and we can kind of guide them through it. But a lot of them, I do notice a lot of them just get diagnosed and they want to make sure they're doing all the right things Mm -hmm. to get themselves uh, to the end point. Then I have some people that, you know, they got themselves into remission. They read my book. And in my book, I always talk about when you get into remission, just just pretend like, hey, I've been given a second chance. Like, what would I do differently if I would know what I know now. You know, in other words, I, I just want to do everything I can so that I don't get cancer again. And and the, they're the ideal patients to mm-hmm. really treat. The ones that first get diagnosed and also the ones that get into remission and they want to stay there. Once again, when you get into stage four, it gets a little rougher. Um, a lot of times they're going through chemo. It's hard for them to even eat. And that's, it can be very, that, that can be more difficult uh, in the counseling, because I mean, you know, if you don't feel like eating, I'm you throw yeah. a salad in front of somebody; they're not going to yeah. want to eat that. So you go more with like smoothies and and things like that. So you try to counsel them in ways that they can get the nutrients, but also that it doesn't upset their stomach and so forth. So when you work with a cancer coach, you and I are both cancer coaches. I think it is um, something that should be noted that you don't have to have all the information. You don't have to do the research. You don't have to read the books at the beginning. Um, what you need to do is have somebody explain to you how, you know, some practical steps about getting onto a plant-based diet. Do you have practical steps that you can share with us today? I think one of the things that I tell patients um it's just kind of start easy. I, th- I think a good way to do it is just your breakfast, for example. Um, you know, my wife and I, every morning, we do a uh, steel cut oats. Then we throw some chia pudding in there. She does some flaxseed in there. I put all four berries. Um, one little tip about berries, because berries can go bad in your refrigerator. I, I go to I go to Trader Joe's and they have a they have a, a frozen mix of raspberries, strawberries, blackberries, blueberries, and then I just put them in there. Then we mm-hmm. cut some like uh, bananas on there. And I, I put cinnamon on everything because cinnamon, it has a it has a powerful uh, blood sugar lowering effect, but also very powerful anti-cancer effect. It affects mTOR and a lot of other pathways in cancer. So I put cinnamon just about on everything. And then I use soy milk. Um, 
So that that's like an easy thing to do. Breakfast, maybe even like some Ezekiel bread with almond butter and some you know organic jam, um, and then progress to um, maybe doing a few lunches. Uh, try to I try to encourage my patients right off the bat if they can eat a salad every day. I think that's a good habit to get into. And then on Sundays, make some kind of vegetable soup, throw them in mason jars, and kind of pull those out every so often. Um, one of the things I heard on one podcast, I thought it was interesting. Uh, they said, take four of your favorite recipes when you start and change those four recipes into 10 plant-based recipes. Mm -hmm. And even if, even if they want to use some of these plant-based meats and so forth in the early stages, just to kind of, you know, gradually blend in, I think that's a good way to do it. Um, I do think that sometimes if you do it too quickly, people can get a lot of gas and some gastric distress. So I think you need to kind of go slow because your gut microbiome, uh, it needs to change. Um, you know, people that eat a lot of meat and ultra processed foods do not have a healthy gut microbiome. And uh, it takes time for the the gut microbiome to change. It, it changes fairly quickly though. I don't know if you read the article in Nature uh, 2014 where they put one group on a totally whole food plant-based diet. They put the other group on a carnivore diet and then they analyzed the microbiome for five days. And they found just in five days, there was already a dramatic change uh, in the in the microbiome. And, and one of the things that was really disconcerting in the people that were eating the carnivore diet, there's a bacteria called Hungatello and it's one of the pathogenic bacteria. And, and just so your listeners know, we have about a thousand different species of bacteria in our gut. You have, you have your beneficial, you know, Prevotel and all their subspecies, and then the Bacteroidetes, there's about 500 subspecies under that. And the more healthy you eat, your good Prevotella go up, your bad Bacteroidetes, uh, Bacteroidetes goes down. But in this study, the carnivore, the Bacteroidetes went up dramatically, the Prevotella went down. But the scary thing is that the Hungatello bacteria really proliferated. And uh, it, there's a substance called TMAO. Um, a lot of your animal products, for instance, red meat has a lot of carnitine. Eggs have a lot of choline. When they go down into the, they make their way into the colon, the Hangatella love this stuff. And they convert it to uh, TMA, trimethylamine, and then trimethylamine goes to your liver and it's converted to trimethylamine oxide. And a lot of the work through the Cleveland Clinic shows that uh, TMAO levels are directly correlated with atherosclerosis, cardiovascular events, type 2 diabetes. And recently, they published a study where if you come to the ER with chest pain and you check the TMAO levels, you can pretty much predict whether or not they're going to have a heart attack within 30 days. So, um, so the only way to get these high levels of carnitine and choline is by eating these uh, animal products. Uh, the other thing, there was, there's a bacteria called uh, uh, Bilophila wadsworthia uh, that started to proliferate very intensely in these carnivore, uh, this carnivore group. And that's been correlated with ulcerative colitis, uh, Crohn's disease. It really releases a lot of uh, inflammatory uh, chemicals, secondary bile acids, which really promote uh, intestinal permeability and just a lot of uh, very unhealthy uh, side effects. So, um, but that all happened within five days. So you can change your microbiome very, very quickly. But once again, 
you might end up with a little gastric distress. So you kind of have to kind of play it by ear, just, you know, just gradually introduce these plant foods until, you know, a month or two, you should be able to be eating whole food plant-based and not really have any, you know, gastric issues. It seems ominous for anyone listening out there, you know, it, when we talk about this and when we talk about the studies and when we talk about the benefits and this and that, it can seem almost too much to handle when you're going through a diagnosis. But I guarantee you after speaking and listening and reading Dr. Brandy's book, um, any change that you can make in the positive direction of lifestyle, diet, mental health is a positive step towards prevention, towards getting through with you know, mitigated side effects of treatment. I really want to thank you for trumpeting this. Um, it is, it's a delicate space to be involved in and for you to take it with, you know, grasp it with, you know, both hands, I think is so helpful and you're making such a difference in the lives of so many people. Where can people access your book and access you if they would like to find out more about you and read your book? Well, they can get my book on Amazon. It's uh, hardback, paperback, audio, if you like audio, Kindle. Um, they can also get it on my website. It's about the same price as Amazon. I do give a signed copy if they do uh, get it on my website. My website is naturalinsightsintocancer.com. And the insights is I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S. So it's all just one word. Um, I do have a... Uh, Instagram site where I do a post every single day. I have over 36,000 followers on there. Um, I put a lot of great information on there. So that's a good site. I'm also on Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, um, just about everywhere. So, and my, my job really to me is to help as many cancer patients as possible. That's my mission now. Um, as I said, I sold my plastic surgery med spa anti-aging center, and I put 100% of my effort into helping cancer patients. It's just become my mission. Well, it's a wonderful mission, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, it's been a great pleasure meeting you and chatting with you. Kathy, it was great. Enjoyed it. Everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.